Good morning, Christ Church. Today we are concluding our summer series, Simply Christian, and I'll put a roadmap uh, up here on the screen to show where we've been over the summer in case you've been maybe in and out on vacations or traveling. We started this series way back at the beginning of the summer, um, kind of with this purpose of it is good to go back to the basics, to just rehear all over again the story, the message of Christianity, why it matters, and kind of remind ourselves, this is what we believe. This is what we are giving ourselves to. And you remember we started with those four longings. I love the way uh, N.T. Wright starts his book. It's with these four longings that every human always has. Longings for relationship, for justice, for spirituality, and for beauty. And we saw how these longings ultimately culminate in this quest for God, this search for God that only He can fulfill. So then we pivoted and we talked about um, how does God rescue us? How does he enter our world to make sense of these longings? And over the past couple of months, then we talked through the story of Scripture with Israel and Jesus and the Spirit and the church. And then we pivoted and talked about, well, how do we live this out? How do we embody this message in our worship, in the ways that we are sent into the world as ambassadors How do we live an ethic of forgiveness, which is what Kester talked about last week? How do we learn from Scripture uh, and belong to a church community, which is what Sarah Smith preached on a few weeks ago? Today we are ending, we're completing, we're finalizing this series, and we're going to be talking about one key idea that pervades the whole book. You might even say this idea, it kind of sits over the top of the book and is just the through line from beginning to end. It's a biblical idea, and once you get the hang of it, it's one of those ideas that shines light on all the rest of the Bible. And not just the Bible, shines light on the rest of your life as well, how you live, what your purpose is for, what you're doing here, what this is all about. So the idea I'm talking about and that N.T. Wright concludes the book with is called new creation. New creation, maybe that's a phrase some of you have heard before. We're going to talk about it today. We're going to talk what is new creation and then connect it to hope, this virtue of hope. And then I want to lastly take some time to apply how do we live out this belief in new creation in a very practical way. So that's kind of the roadmap for today. And let's begin with some questions. What do we mean by new creation? So think about this. What happens after you die? After you die, what happens? We think that our body dies and our spirit goes to be with God. We often say that the spirit goes to be with God in heaven. Remember, Paul writes in Philippians, for to me, uh, to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I depart, it'll be good because I will be in the presence of God. We call this life after death. But that's not the whole picture of what the Bible offers. In fact, the Bible doesn't just talk about life after death. It spends a lot more time talking about life after, life after death. That's what we're going to talk about a little bit. And the Bible, when it talks about this, speaks of new creation, about our King Jesus coming back to this world, fixing everything that is broken. New creation points out that the whole story of Scripture isn't God just snatching us out of this world to abandon the world, but the final picture that the Bible gives is our bodies being resurrected and body and spirit being reunited in a new world, a new creation, life after, life after death. 
If you have your uh, Bibles with you, open up to 1 Corinthians 15, or if you've got a scripture passage from your bulletin, 1 Corinthians 15 is a passage we're going to look at a little bit. We're looking at this idea of new creation, life after, life after death. We see it in our 1 Corinthians 15 text, verse 22. Paul writes, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in turn, Christ, the firstfruits. And then when he comes, those who belong to him. In other words, Christ resurrected first, and then one day, everyone else also resurrected, bodily resurrected, the body that you are in right now coming back to life. Christ's resurrection began the new creation, and when he comes, when he returns, he will complete that resurrection with you and the rest of creation coming back together. So look at this, your body, you know, stomp your feet, your hands these hands right here, your face, the hair that you have left, you're like all of it coming back. I got a haircut over the weekend, so just, I'm aware of that. All of it, though, coming back, coming back to, to life, to existence. And Paul says, we don't know what sort of body it'll be like. You put a seed in the ground, up comes an oak tree. We're not sure exactly how it will be, but be sure of this. It is your body, you, me, the I that I am will not simply for eternity be floating as a disembodied existence, as a soul floating in the clouds. All of you resurrected, every part of you. The resurrection reminds us that humans are not angels, just pure spirits, and we're not animals, just pure matter. We occupy this unique space. We have angelic desires. We have um, bodily desires. We can be corrupted in our soul. We can be corrupted in our bodies as well. We straddle this kind of hybrid space of angel and animal. It's something I might call an angel. Like a, a hybrid. You're a human. Right? You're something different. And all of you will be resurrected, every part of you. You know, every week in our creed, in the Nicene Creed, we say this line, say, we believe in the resurrection of the dead. What we're saying there is that what happened to Jesus, the beginning of new creation, will indeed one day happen to all of us. This new creation will happen for us all. That's why so many people, you might notice, choose to actually cross themselves when we say that. Because it's, when you cross yourself, it's, it's like a, a prayer over your body saying, this body, aging as it is, wrinkling as it is, susceptible to sickness, susceptible to death, this body, indeed this one, me, will be resurrected. God has made me as I am. He has given me meanness, and he will resurrect all of me. The second coming of Christ isn't a taking us out of this world. The second coming of Christ is a reappearing and a final defeat of all that is evil. Look at verse 23, what Paul says. He writes, each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, the beginning, and then when he comes, those who belong to him, those who have entrusted themselves to him. And then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. N.T. Wright says it this way. God's plan is not to abandon this world. The world which he said was very good. He's not giving it over to Satan. Rather, he intends to remake it, and when he does, he will raise all his people to new bodily life in it. That is a promise of the Christian gospel. 
We started with four longings, how we are questing towards God, the beauty, the justice, the relationships, the spirituality. And in new creation, you see the fulfillment of all of these desires. In that new creation, we humans, we will notice the beauty of all creation. Right now, we see it in bits and pieces. We see maybe the beauty of a sunrise or the beauty of the mountain peaks. But we will one day see all of creation as she was meant to be beautifully adorned. We will notice and delight in her beauty. In that new creation, all relationships will be healed. There'll be harmony between nations and cities and families. You'll be at peace. We'll have no more need for gun control laws because there will be no more war and fighting between one another. In that day, your quest for spirituality, the deepest desires for your life, you will see God face to face. And you won't turn away in shame. You will be face to face with the creator, the one you were made for. He looking and beholding you and saying, you are very good as I have made and remade you. This is the beginning. It's not the end, it's the beginning of which everything else in human history has been just the prelude. Created world inhabited by humans who reflect God's image and who can justly care for the world as God originally intended. It reminds me of that beautiful moment in Lord of the Rings. Do you remember that where the ring has been destroyed and Sam has, he's passed out and he's been rescued. And as he comes to, he's in a, a field, a makeshift field hospital uh, bed. And he's been unconscious for several weeks. And as he wakes up, he begins talking and someone speaks back to him and he realizes, Gandalf, it's you. But I thought you were dead. And I thought all these other things had happened. And he starts laughing. He's overcome with emotion. He just starts laughing and then he starts crying and he says, is everything sad going to become untrue? Is everything sad going to become untrue? That is what the new creation is saying is, yes, a great shadow has departed the world. Everything sad will come untrue. Time will roll backwards in some mysterious way. And all of the evil and the marring and the pain and the injustice that the world has felt and that you have personally felt will be set right. God will deal with the unrightness of the world, the undoing of death itself. This is new creation, and it sheds light over all of Scripture. This is what God is rescuing us towards, the remaking of the world. And you see now why I want to link it to hope, because what it does is it cultivates the virtue of hope in our hearts. You know, we uh, Christians, we talk about the, the three great theological virtues, faith, hope, and love, faith, that makes a lot of sense to us. It's belief in God, knowing God and trusting ourselves to him. Love makes a lot of sense, caring for others. We get a little queasy on what is hope, though? How do we hold on to it? What is hope all about? So I want to talk about hope for a second, and what does it mean to hope in the new creation? Hope means this. It is to deeply desire new creation and expect to receive it. It is to learn to deeply desire new creation and expect you will one day receive it. Desire and expectation. Hope is a thirst for this new creation. It's a confidence that this world is not in its final state as it presently is, that you aren't in your final state as you presently are. Here's a couple ways you might think about it. Hope is what helps you repent after you've fallen into sin reminding you that the God of perpetual mercy still has plans for your life. He's not through with you. Hope inspires your daily living so that the routines of life, the mundane chores of 
mowing the grass or uh, paying the bills, whatever it might be. Those aren't complacent things, but they're oriented towards this new creation. He uses even the daily routine to form you as a creature to inhabit this new creation. Hope is what gets you through the desert stretches of life. It seems so long, and the oases and rest points seem so few. Hope urges those in chronic pain to continue to trust in God's goodness, knowing that even your body will be remade. Hope is the flicker of flame in our hearts. When God feels distant and the world feels shut off to us, hope is saying, I still love you. Even though you aren't experiencing me in the way you desire, I still love you. Hope orients us towards the new creation. Now, why does this matter so much? You know, I can give you a lot of information. I can tell you things. I can tell you, you look at an orange and it's round. We can talk about things, but information like that doesn't do that much. The point is not just information, it's transformation. So what I want to talk about is how does this doctrine of new creation transform us, transform our living? And the answer is it, when we place our hope in God, the one who is going to remake us, the one who is leading us towards this new creation, it can't help but transform you. It is one of the most practical doctrines that there is to realize that God is making a new creation. And so I want to take some time um, to apply this to an area of our life that will affect all of us and talk about how hoping in the new creation actually has practical reality for everyday living. So the area I want to talk about is sexuality. And we'll use sexuality as a test case for how do we apply this? How do we apply this hope in the new creation every day? And a couple of comments to make. First of all, sometimes Christians will talk about sexuality in our bodies as if this is the only thing God cares about. And um, that's, that's not true. And he cares about so much. He has regard for so much. And what I want to walk you through today is a way of thinking about new creation that you could apply not just to sexuality. You could apply to any number of different areas. What does God think about your work? How is God calling you to participate in justice? Uh, What sort of friendships are you supposed to have? Any number of these things you could walk through what we're going to do today, but this is a really good one to do because uh, sexuality affects all of us, as we'll see. I want to put a slide up first. And um, we want to begin by thinking about, whenever you think of anything, you kind of want to just get your categories together. So we're going to look at kind of the original created goodness. What was God's original created intent around sexuality? And then we want to look at the new creation restoration. Where's this all going? What's his point with all of this? Where's he intending to bring us? And that little purple sliver in the middle, that's the present age where these overlap. The created goodness overlaps. Uh, New creation has begun. But we also live in a world of brokenness. We live in a world of pain. We live in a world of our own sins. And we also live in a world where we've been sinned against. So all that is kind of at play there in the middle. And I want to begin by looking at um, the original creation goodness. Why was, how was sexuality originally made? So let's go to the next slide. And God created, in original creation, humankind as male and female. There's a goodness there. There's a complementarity between male and female. And then just a goodness of the body that, the God, that God has given to all of us. And Christianity has always taught that the proper place for sexual intimacy is in this institution of marriage. It's given us this institution between one man and one woman. And so we say sexual desires are not at all wrong, but they have this place of proper fulfillment, of proper expression in marriage. 
Let me look at original creation. Now look at the new creation he is restoring. And we find things are similar but a little changed. In new creation, Jesus teaches our bodies will be remade and will actually no longer be given in marriage anymore. Remember, Jesus says this in Matthew 19. He says, in that day, um, they'll be like the angels. They won't be given in, in marriage any longer. Christians take this to mean that our union with God will be so complete that we'll have such an intimacy with the Lord that we'll no longer have sexual union with one another, that the, the greatest intimacy will actually be with God. And so in effect, our, create, our new creation state will be wholly married unto the Lord. And again, here's why sexuality is a good test case to think about new creation and to think about how we hope towards new creation. Because in the present age, we all experience the goodness and the brokenness of sexuality. We all experience the goodness of inhabiting bodies given to us, the challenges of abstinence, pains from misapplied sexuality, sometimes even conflicts within our own body. And so what I want to do is I want to talk through several different categories and where sexuality emerges and how hope in new creation actually becomes the most practical grounding reality for everyday life. Hope in the new creation matters in all of these areas. Uh, as we talk through these different categories, just as a disclaimer, this is not meant to be an exhaustive list. It's a representative one. Um, and in sermons, you don't have as much time to nuance everything you might want to nuance as we would in personal conversation. But what I want to try and do is paint a picture through multiple examples of how hope in new creation practically grounds you for everyday living. So first of all, um, let me speak to those of you who are in maturing marriages. What I mean by maturing marriages, those of you um, who perhaps are empty nesters all the way up through the golden anniversary and beyond, you know, those of you who have been married uh, for quite a while, no longer have kids in the home, um, one of the challenging things for, that you might feel is learning to die to yourself and to your own desires and learning that at 50, it's a lot different than 20, and 80, it's a lot different than 50. How you're called to renounce yourself changes over the course of your life, but you're always still called to the renunciation. The pressures you face to honor God are different than, different than pressures you faced earlier in your life. So perhaps over the years in your marriage, you've not been through a divorce, but you have drifted from one another. You know, I often counsel couples and talk to couples in pre-marriage counseling that drifts in marriage can be just as painful sometimes as divorce. You know, that, that moment where we, you wake up 20 years later and you realize we're living like side-by-side -side lives, but we are, aren't actually living in friendship, in relationship, in love, in intimacy with one another. We're in the same home, but there's not a sharing of life together that's happening here. There's been a drift over the course of our marriage. And so you put on a brave face at church, but home life feels strained, feels distant, uncomfortable. And here's what New Creation, new creation Hope says says that this relationship is worth mending because God cares about relationships. Because in the end, every relationship will come into some sort of harmony. So New Creation Hope will say that even marriages that have become set in their patterns, husbands and wives who have become set in their ways, you can work towards active forgiveness, towards active recovery of the years, and you can begin again, begin afresh even in your later years, begin to take interest in one another again in deep and delightful ways because of this new creation hope that God intends every relationship 
to be healed and to become harmonious. Maybe you've been in your maturing years, uh, the marriage has just been on autopilot for a while. You just kind of get in the habit of daily life and you've just been on autopilot for so long and now God is calling you and your spouse together to serve him in a fresh way. Hope in the new creation says the adventure of life isn't over no matter how many years you've been married. So take up towel and wash basin together and serve alongside with your spouse. Maybe God's calling you to begin practicing prayer together. It's one of the, the basic things that you haven't done for a long time. Ask God, Lord, what do you desire of our marriage? This is how new creation hope grounds you. It says every day still matters. Okay, to those married and with young children in the, in the house right now, those with young children, you might be in the throes of some of the most sleepless nights you will ever experience in your life. You might wonder if the mountain of diapers will ever end, if sleep ever returns, if intimacy with your spouse will ever come back. You also might feel like two adults who are existing side by side in life. You're on the same team, you're working hard together, but there's just not a, a closeness as maybe there has been at different uh, seasons of your life. And hope in the new creation says that during these sleepless nights, when intimacy with your spouse is limited, that God is using every daily action to prepare you for one day living in this new creation. Every action that you're doing, every choice you're making matters to him, and he's using it to shape you to one day inhabit this new creation. There's a, a prayer I have. Um, I'm still in that the diapers are still happening all the time stage. And uh, so we have a prayer right above the diaper station. And it comes, um, it's called the Liturgy for Changing a Diaper. It comes from uh, Every Moment Holy. It's, the whole prayer is wonderful. But this gets at that new creation hope I'm talking about. So in the act, in the very act of changing the diaper, therefore, Heavenly Father, in such menial moments as this, the changing of a diaper, I would remember this truth that my unseen labors are not lost. For it is these repeated acts of small sacrifice that like bright ragged patches are slowly being sewn into a quilt of loving kindness that swaddles this child. Isn't that beautiful? I love that the, the uh, prayer ends by saying this changing of the diaper is one of 10,000 acts of small service that maybe sits upstream from the changing of a heart. Maybe that changing of the heart sits upstream from the changing of the world. It's this new creation hope. Nothing in your life is wasted. Every action he is attending to. I want to speak to those who are single uh, for a while. And for you, there might be a joy in your singleness, knowing that uh, it affords you some freedoms, freedoms to serve, freedoms to travel, freedoms to play, but this might also come with a, perhaps jealousy towards married couples, maybe a grass is greener on the other side type mentality. Maybe you feel a mixture of both. Maybe you feel perhaps even more uh, than those. You might think that you are being unfairly called to abstinence and you wonder, are others fighting as hard as I am? And to you, I want to say several things. First of all, you are a deep gift to the church, you who are single. You matter so much to the presence, to a community of Christians. Your presence matters and is gift. The way you offer yourself joy and in friendship to others influences the shape of a church community. At times, it will seem like a marriage is the only way you can live a holy life. That's not true. In fact, that's a hellish lie. 
The hope of new creation begins in baptism, which is a singular act. We all go into the water, the baptism waters, alone. We stand ultimately individually before the Lord. Your presence matters at this church or at any church community you ever belong to. Your presence matters as a gift. Secondly, to the singles. In the context of a church community, you belong to the family of God. And so being self-aware of your created needs, creational goodness, needs of friendship and companionship, it's right for you to ask for help meeting those needs from your small group, from a close set of friends, might need help meeting emotional needs, even financial needs. In fact, this is one area I think churches are called, we just, we need to improve in this, in the way that we stand together, that it's just normal for um, married and single to do life together in such a way that you vacation together and holidays are spent together and perhaps retirement funds are shared together and hospital bills are shared together. Belonging to the family of God means a true belonging. Third thing, I want to also gently remind you who might want marriage. Many of you, as I speak with, do want marriage, and you desire to be with someone, and that is a good desire from creation. It's a good creation desire. And new creation hope will gently remind you that marriage, while a good thing, is not ultimate thing. It's still a very good thing. And so a very gentle reminder here not to place too strongly your hope for happiness in marriage. And since this is true, hope of new creation actually gives you a freedom to date more freely if you want to. To even take a risk on marriage knowing that marriage isn't the ultimate happiness. Since marriage isn't the ultimate thing in life, there is a freedom then to marry even an imperfect person knowing that you as an imperfect person and another imperfect person God can somehow take and make some created magic out of it. Reminds me of that song from Andrew Peterson. You can go dancing in the minefields with others, knowing in new creation hope. He can take the imperfect parts of your life and make you new, prepare you for this new creation, which leads to a fourth observation. And by the way, if I'm spending a little bit of time speaking about singleness and sexuality, it's because churches often err on the other side. So I want to make sure that there's just due time here. Fourth observation on, regarding singleness and uh, sexuality is just as married couples point to new creation, the new creation, Christ will be married to the church. So married couples point to new creation. So too do those who are single point to new creation. Because in the new creation, all of us will be singularly unto the Lord. The new heavens and the new earths, we will not be married to one another. Lifelong singleness or faithful marriage have always been the options for a Christian. It's what Christians have always said, this is the way we're called to live. I want to encourage you, if this is something you're interested in learning more about, our bishop, Bishop Todd, recently hosted a podcast with Peter Valk, um, and it's called On a Traditional Sexual Ethic. And they actually get into this. This is what the church has uh, offered and has always offered. They talk a lot about these two options. And P Peter, he's a faithful Christian. He's choosing lifelong singleness and celibacy as a way of offering himself to the Lord because he's also same-sex attracted. And he says, this is a way I offer my body, I offer myself to the Lord, which brings me to a fifth point. Some of you are intentionally single because you are same-sex attracted. And though you might desire not to be, the desire hasn't left. 
And so you are intentionally single in a way to honor God with your body because you have said God has honored, has gifted me with his body, and so in return, I offer my body, my very being, back to him. And to you, I have the deepest sense of admiration and respect because our culture would tell you just to go and be happy and find a partner. Perhaps even your own internal desires would do that, and yet you are instead saying, no, I offer myself, I offer my body, I make an offering of my life back to God in faithfulness. Let's talk about a few other categories. To those facing addiction, perhaps sexual addiction, and perhaps pornography, maybe this has been a long struggle for you and you've even given up caring about overcoming this anymore. You think it's absolutely just normal uh, for life. At this point of your life, it just feels normal and you assume probably for everyone else it is as well. You think everyone struggles, and yet I want to say new creation, new creation hope says Christ can begin healing now. He can begin healing now. And it doesn't matter how long you have felt this addiction, how long you've been struggling, he can bring healing now. We often, uh, when we talk about addictions, uh, Father Cliff and myself uh, have recommended before 12-step programs, and I know Father Herb has said one of the reasons the 12-step programs is so good and so rich is because it starts with the affirmation, I am powerless in the face of my addiction. So towards an addiction of pornography and internet pornography, whatever it might be, um, Christ can bring healing, and he always starts with a confession that I'm incapable of overcoming this on my own, and I've tried before and I can't, and I need a community, and I need Jesus to come immediately into my heart and to begin reworking even my very desires. Hope in the new creation. To those, perhaps, who have gone through a divorce, this might be one of the most defining moments of your life. Different denominations disagree on divorce and how it should be allowed or not, but everyone agrees it is much more like an amputation than it is just dissolving a business contract. It is a trauma. It is a deep pain. It is a wound that you're cutting off where union was. But hope and new creation will say Jesus actually can rewrite your future. If he who can even die on a cross can be resurrected, he can take even the most painful, perhaps shameful, embarrassing moment you have felt going through that, and he can rewrite your future. Believe, in fact, that he can. But the healing will require your cooperation, your honest assessment of your own faults, and asking him and perhaps others for forgiveness. But there's hope. There's always hope for newness. To the youth, to middle schoolers and high schoolers, maybe even a few of our college students who are here this morning, if I can say one thing to you, I would want you to know that the most defining thing about your life is you are immensely loved by a God of mercy more than you can possibly comprehend. He loves you, youth. And you live in an age and a society that will tell you that as long as you feel an internal desire, it's true for you and you need to express it. But the hope of new creation says not everything in your heart is good, and even your inner self will need to be remade. And Jesus wants to do that for you. One of the ways he does that, here's how I think about that. Um, maybe you've been, speaking to the youth especially, have you ever been to a coffee shop and you've put your headphones in, even noise-canceling headphones, and you can still, even, even with noise-canceling headphones, you can still hear some of the buzz of the coffee shop around you. You can hear people opening and closing the doors. You can hear the espresso machine going. Right, but you, can, you most centrally hear your music. 
Your music that you're listening to is the primary thing you can hear, even though you know there's some other noises going on around you. This is how Jesus works with your desires, youth. This is what he does, where his voice speaking to your heart becomes the dominant voice, the dominant desire that you hear, so that offering yourself to him is the most important thing in life. But you can still heal, hear some of the other desires in your heart. He just becomes the dominant voice. A new creation hope says there will one day be a day, there will one day be a day when those other voices aren't even there anymore. And if you have desires, youth, and don't know what to do with them, I would just encourage you to speak with your parents, your youth leaders, to pray and to talk to Jesus. New creation hope says you can trust Jesus to love and care for you, just like you would trust a surgeon to operate on you, because they, they know you, they see you, they know how to operate upon you. Only remain faithful and try your hardest to offer your heart to God. Now, I know there are a number of more categories, and I'm not going to try again. This is not meant to be exhaustive. We're not going to go through everything. So um, categorically, if I didn't name something that uh, is close to your heart, I would just encourage you, offer it up to the Lord, because here's the reality. The answer will always, in some measure, be the same. Hope. Hope in the new creation that he is not through with you yet. And whatever you might be suffering through, whatever you might have gone through, whatever failures you might have had to you, whatever abuses might have happened to you, still there is hope that where you are now is not the final picture. You are not in the final state right now. And he is using every moment, every day, every hour, every self-surrender that you make where you say, not my will, but God, yours be done. He uses every single one of them. He might create you to be a creature to inhabit this new creation. All right, we're wrapping up the series now. And I want to transition to just as we finally wrap up this series. Next week, we'll, we'll begin in the lectionary and we'll have a sermon series later this fall. But um, as we wrap this up, as I've gone through uh, Simply Christian this uh, summer and just thinking of Christ Church, three maybe final takeaways from this whole series altogether. Um, first of all, that religious desire is as great as ever. In our society, people are hungry for God. They're expressing it through their love of beauty, their quest for justice, quest for spirituality, desire for relationships. People are as hungry for God as ever. That's observation one. Observation two, God's mercy is as real as ever. He loves us. He loves us silly humans. He desires to pour his heart out for us. Observation three, he has called the church you, to be the bridge between his mercy and humanity's desires, to be ambassadors of this new creation reality that you have begun to taste and experience in his spirit. To that we are called to be good news to the city of Austin, and we believe that in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.